Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. It is really easy, especially if you feel a sense of distrust about this administration, to take news like this and think, what's the angle? I feel like the road to a saner political environment requires us to just take the good news. Just take it. Take the win. Mm Because the more we're able to do that, it's like extending trust in order to build it. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. I'm so excited for this special Christmas episode because we are going to be sharing the good news of 2018. There was a fair amount of unsettling news in 2018, so we wanted to shift gears a little bit and focus on some of the bigger stories, the bigger trends, the things that maybe don't make all the headlines but are really, really good news for our communities and for our society. I'm excited about this too. So in the first block, we're going to talk about Good news in the federal government. There is some. Hooray. And then in the second block, we're going to talk about science good news and cultural good news. And then we're going to end with a revelation that Sarah had that I think is a beautiful way to start thinking about the new year. 
And in case you didn't hear our good news from Friday's episode, we are going to Washington, D.C. for the Women's March, y'all, and we have a special event the Friday before the march. So if you're on the fence, get those plane tickets and come hang out with us in Washington, D.C. for the Women's March. So first up, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to return to Congress's bipartisan legislation that is going to hold members of Congress more accountable for sexual harassment. In the Me Too conversation, so many people who have worked in Congress bravely shared their stories, and we realized that there's been almost no transparency around the amount of money that Congress spends to settle sexual harassment issues, and that is about to change. Let me edit that sentence. The amount of taxpayer funds they used in the past to pay these settlements, which is outrageous. So I'm so glad that they will now be held personally liable and not be paying these out of taxpayer funds. Yes, this is a great step forward. And I know that there are lots of process issues that are smoothed out here so that this is a process that encourages rather than discourages people from coming forward. So I'm very grateful to all the women who unfortunately had to kind of bear their souls to get this done. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate them doing that. This will have a long lasting impact. I also wanted to say, again, because what we're trying to do here is highlight these other narratives, these other stories that are happening that don't bubble up to the top of the very conflict-ridden headlines in our news sources. And I think with regards to the Me Too movement, it is important to understand that the Me Too movement continues every single day, whether the headlines are talking about Harvey Weinstein or Woody Allen, let me insert my 2019 wish list here. Please, please let Woody Allen get me too. You know, there's positive things happening on individual levels, on legislative levels. I have so many close friends who, you know, because of this movement are dealing with traumas for the first time in their entire lives that they've never thought about, that they sort of compartmentalized or all but forgotten and have now sort of really are looking at those, getting help for those traumatic events. I think we're examining culture in a big way. There was a really great Vanity Fair piece about Georgetown Prep and sort of the culture there and examining the impact of those types of culture. So, you know, I think with regards to the Me Too movement, this change in our society and our culture is not going to stop. Even if we're not reading about a tidal wave of revelations in the way that we were in the beginning of the movement, the work continues on individual levels and community levels and societal levels. And that is really, really good news. And it's good news when we're not reading about that accountability in the public sphere, too. But work like this is being done because Mm -hmm. for every Harvey Weinstein, there are hundreds of people acting in a much smaller way but still a really significant one. And the purpose here is not to just throw out all of those people. It is to change the culture. And so that Mm -hmm. the quieter everyday work and the conversations that people have to understand each other differently, you know, we want to be in a world that doesn't have a need for the Me Too revelation because we figured out how to relate to one another and how to use power in ways that uplift people instead of exploit and manipulate them. And so I'm really encouraged by where we are with everything that makes me ache still about the Me Too conversation. And there is still that. I'm overall so encouraged. And I think that no one's story has been told in vain. 
We wanted to move on to some really great news, recent news coming out of the Trump administration, which is that they have rolled out a new federal regulation officially banning bump fire stocks. As most of you remember, bump stocks really came into our national consciousness after the Las Vegas shooting. The shooter had rigged his weapons with these devices so that he could fire at a more rapid pace, killing 58 people. So there was a lot of talk right after that shooting about banning bump stocks, and I'm so happy to see that that is finally moving forward. So under the new rule, people who own bump stocks have 90 days to turn in or otherwise destroy them from the date that the final rule is published in the Federal Register. And that's a big, surprising announcement from the Trump administration. I know that he has kind of previously said that he's against bump stocks. I think he was really affected by what happened in Las Vegas. I'm surprised to see this carried through um, because of the influence of the NRA and because of the president's strong language about gun rights. And so I really appreciate this from the administration. There has been a bigger cultural movement on Gun control generally. I believe that. I was reading some reporting that the House Democrats have plans now that they will be controlling the House of Representatives to put forward some gun control legislation because they feel like the country has moved on that. And I think that's right. I think I hear a lot of people say in my community, which is, you know, very conservative for the most part, I hear a lot of people should at least be held responsible for safely storing their guns. That's one that I hear a lot. That everybody seems to think, yeah, no matter if you're a gun advocate, people because people who passionately understand and advocate for guns understand that they are dangerous items and that they need to be safely stored. So there seems to be sort of a cultural shift on that. And I think there is a cultural shift on universal background checks. I mean, that is the number one thing that Moms Demand Action push for is universal background checks. I don't think a lot of people have any huge problems with that. I, I, I hear a lot of people say, look, I don't have a problem with guns, but yeah, we should have background checks or I don't have a problem with guns, but yeah, people should have to store them safely. So I, I think that this is a cultural trend. And I think that's why you see a Trump administration feeling comfortable doing something that in any universe could be interpreted as gun control, because I think our country is tired and heartbroken and fed up with the level of gun violence. And I think you're going to see more and more change on this issue in 2019 and beyond. And I want to speak for a second to the human nature that prompts us occasionally to react to news like this with suspicion or paranoia. And it is really easy, especially if you feel a sense of distrust about this administration, to take news like this and think, what's the angle? I feel like the road to a saner political environment requires us to just take the good news. Just take it. Take the win. Mm -hmm. Because the more we're able to do that, it's like extending trust in order to build it. And it may be that there is an angle here, but let's just take the win and move on and, and hope that someone's life was saved by this decision. And that's enough. That's all we need for now. And I think if we can just react to every little victory with a sense that, you know what, maybe we maybe we agree for different reasons, but at least we agree and we got something accomplished through the lens of agreement. And that is what our country needs right now. I totally agree. I think you see this in the next item we're going to talk about, which is the criminal justice reform package that just passed the Senate. I was really proud because I think there could have been even a justified reaction from Democrats that 
Why should we, this thing we've been fighting for that Mitch McConnell shut down under Obama, why should we give this win to Trump? And they wouldn't have been wrong, honestly. That's that's an honest, emotional reaction. But I'm so glad that if they felt that, they recognized it and responded differently and said, because it's the right thing to do. We have to do it, whether whoever it gives the political win to. And the next right thing in that vein is that if if infrastructure and some other big projects mm-hmm. can get done with a Democratic House and a Republican controlled Senate, that's really good news. And we should take it. We should do these things that keep moving us forward. So for those of you who don't know, this criminal justice bill has been in the works for a very long time. It is bipartisan support in the Senate. It was overwhelmingly approved recently. I think there were only 12 senators that voted against it. It's called the First Step Act. It would expand job training and other programs that try to reduce the rate at which people find themselves back in federal prison. It expands early release programs and it modifies sentencing laws, especially mandatory minimums for nonviolent drug offenders. I was listening to a senator who I don't remember which one it was saying that, you know, our our prison population has expanded from like by like 700 percent since the 1980s. And this legislation is really in a really important first step, not just for the people coming out of the prison, for the first step of our country to recognize that we imprison too many people. And look, this is a small step. This is just federal prisons. This will only affect like 10 percent of the prison population. But it is still good news. One more bit of good news before we transition to the cultural side. There is reporting that the Department of Health and Human Services, which is the department that has had oversight of children taken into custody at the border, is going to be easing the very restrictive background check guidelines necessary to release those children to the custody and care of adult family members in the United States. And so this hopefully will allow a number of children to be released from federal detention by Christmas. And we hope that has happened by the time that this episode drops, that it is the first step in many steps to a more humane approach to this situation. The population of these children had really ballooned way past the capacity of these facilities to hold them. And honestly, it's not about overcrowding. It's that children should not be in custody, period. And the federal government doesn't know how to do that well. Even Mm -hmm. if there were a real need for these children to be in custody, the federal government is not equipped to do that work. And so they've had to use lots of organizations. There's been reporting about those organizations and the money that they make. I was having a conversation with our listener, Debbie, about how, on the one hand, it's really horrible to think about organizations making money from providing resources and places for these children to be. On the other hand, thank goodness that someone exists to do that because the government was taking these kids one way or the other. And it's just a really hard situation. And so the answer is definitely to stop putting these children in federal custody. And this is a good step in that direction. Next up, we are going to continue to share the good news of 2018 and talk about some scientific advancements and cultural movements. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. 
Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. So we have some really good scientific advancements that came our way in 2018. I've been thinking about this a lot because there was a really good Freakonomics where they talked about like all are all the good ideas gone and that it just takes so much more to like in research and development to make advances, to make new products, to break through stuff like that. And so when, when when there are really important breakthroughs as there were in 2018, I think that just speaks to the amazing intelligence and drive and dedication of these researchers because it's not 1900. You're not stumbling across penicillin. You know what I mean? That's right. And so one of those big advancements 
was awarded a Nobel Prize for Medicine and Physiology to James P. Allison and Tasuku Honjo. They have figured out how to improve the body's natural immunological defenses against cancer. I think this is amazing. I do, too. And here's my favorite part about this, probably because we use the metaphor of a car and acceleration and brakes often. And so they said, just as the speed of a car depends on the balance between the pressure on the accelerator and the brake, the activity of the immune system reflects a balance between mechanisms that activate and inhibit it. Allison realized this in the 1990s while studying a protein called CTLA-4, which is associated with the T cells that organize and execute much of the immune system's attack on cancer cells and other threats. He and other researchers had seen that CTLA-4 suppresses immune responses. Some researchers were hoping to activate more of it in order to treat autoimmune diseases, but Allison had a hunch that turning off CTLA-4 might unleash the immune system's might against cancers, too. How amazing is that to look at that balance and say, oh, we need to activate instead of inhibit. I love it. They've been talking about immune systems and immunological defenses for cancer for a very long time. You know, my husband always says in 50 years from now, we'll look back at things like chemotherapy and radiation and be like, holler, you did what? You know, like it's just some of the treatments which are important and save people's lives. I get that. And there are best options right now. I mean, they make people sicker, people who need to be fighting this stuff. And so the idea that let's use something that is already finely tuned to your body, a.k.a. your body, a part of your body, to fight this to me, it just, you know, I'm not a scientist. But it makes a lot of sense, and I understand why it would be very hard to figure out how to trigger it. But I just think the more advances we make in this, the more powerful the impact will be on cancer survival rates. And to your question about are all the good ideas gone, no. I think the good ideas haven't even started in that way. We also wanted to talk about global warming because this is a thing that both of us feel a lot of anxiety about. It comes up a lot in our conversations with listeners. And I found this article on foreign policy, and it said the hope at the heart of the apocalyptic climate change report. So we all saw this climate change report that came out in October. And I really loved the way that this foreign policy article talked about it. And we talked a little bit about this on the show as well, which is we all hold the key to preventing further warming. It says the special report includes an exciting new scenario that, for the first time, does not rely on speculative technology. Developed by an international team of scientists, it projects that we can reduce emissions fast enough to keep under 1.5 degrees, but only if we're willing to fundamentally change the logic of our economy. Instead of growing industrial output at all costs, it imposes a simple alternative, that we start to consume less. The new IPCC model calls for us to scale down global material consumption by 20%, which rich countries leading the way. What does that look like? It means moving away from disposable products towards goods that last. It means repairing our existing things rather than buying new ones. It means designing things so that they can be repaired. Modular devices such as Fairphones rather than proprietary devices such as iPhones. It means investing in public goods and finding ways to share stuff from cars to lawnmowers, shifting from an ethic of ownership to an ethic of usership. I love this because I think that, you know, that feels like something I can do. It feels like something I am totally capable of, of scaling down my consumption by 20%. My husband and I talk a lot about this. We're trying to make changes in our own home. The other day, my husband was like, we need mini muffin tin pans. Should I go to Walmart and buy them for like $3 or should I ask on Facebook? And I was like, no, actually, I think he just said, should I go get some? And I was like, wait, ask on Facebook. And everybody was like, heck yeah, I got some mini muffin tin pans hanging out my pantry. So he went and got them. You know, it's like, it's just small things like that. 
because I, th- I think the reason this seems so hopeful to me is because I do think our culture is leaning this way anyway. I think there is increasingly trending idea that everybody doesn't want a lot of stuff. You know, Comrie's new show is coming on January 1st. I, I am counting the seconds. Just that we don't want to consume, that we don't want to just be throwing away plastic, that we need to think about ways that we can reduce the amount of stuff that we're constantly buying and cycling through. And I do think that there is hope at the middle of the at the middle of this report that we're not waiting around for someone to discover, you know, storable, renewable energy that we can all carry around in our pockets, which is pretty far away, but that it's something we can control, that we can all take steps right now and not biking everywhere we go, although that would be great, but like really thinking about how we consume things. I think this is so encouraging and empowering. I think it's empowering in part because one particular because of one particular gift that you have, Sarah, you're really good at recognizing that things don't need to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. There are many of us who struggle with that. So a lot of people have been sharing this video on Facebook of a woman who lives waste free. She has all of her waste for like two years in a jar. Have you seen this? Yes, I've seen. There's a family like that, too. I don't know if it's the same woman, but I've definitely seen people like that. I'm fascinated. They like take reusable glass containers to the market and stuff. Yes. Okay. So there's a part of me that's like, that's really fascinating and cool and inspiring. And there's another part of me that thinks a lot of people are going to watch this, then feel disempowered by it, Mm. right? Because it's overwhelming. It's too much. It's too much change at one time. It seems impossible. And your brain kind of automatically goes, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I completely understand that reaction. And so I think the idea of can we scale it back by 20% is a really important detail here. Can we scale it back by 20%? Can we just make little changes? Can we pick one product, you know, that we move away from disposable to permanent stuff? That's a way that I think that this can feel inspiring. It's just that takes some recalibration of our brains. You don't have to go from 100 to zero. You have to go from 100 to 80. That's manageable. Yeah. And I think it's not just even the products or what you buy. Like we hang out with family, friends of ours on New Year's every year. And we were thinking about, oh, what we could do and what could we go do? And we talked about Opryland and they have this thing called like ice house they they cool opryland to nine degrees meanwhile it's like 60 degrees in december outside and they have ice sculptures and tubing and i was like oh my god that sounds so much fun and then i thought wait this is <laughs> this is the problem right like no we should go for a hike once because it's nice outside and two because the energy it must take to keep opryland at nine degrees so that what we can all go inside and enjoy ice sculpture and tubing like pay money and create all this waste and energy consumption for what? So I'm going to talk to my friend and say, I don't really want to do this. I think we should go find something more environmentally friendly to do. (laughs) Yeah. And that could be a real bummer of a mindset sometimes. So you just have to find the right balance for you. It's not that you never take a vacation again because you don't want to contribute to the jet fuel. You just pause and ask the question and decide what's worth it to you. So in addition to scientific good news, we wanted to talk about some cultural good news. And a big one is that the murder rate for the United States in 2018 is on track for a very big drop, continuing several years of overall crime going down. And I think this is just a real positive and it's a really hard thing to focus on because All crime is horrible, and so we fixate on the horrible. 
But the fact that there is less crime in general is really good news. Well, and I was kind of surprised by this because I had been hearing things that they that a lot of criminal experts were expected for the crime rate to go up. So I'm so excited that that was not in reality what has happened in 2018. Like you said, it's hard because, you know, every crime, particularly every murder, gets reported. And our brains are just not programmed for positivity. They're programmed for negativity. And so that's why it's always so important to sort of check our psychological impulses, which don't serve us a lot of the time. They served us well when it was more important to, like, focus on a lion that could eat us as opposed to the beautiful flowers. But in today's day and age, it can leave you in a sort of permanent state of anxiety and fight or flight. And we have to release some of that and focus on that things, for the most part and in a very big picture way, have gotten better. And to be accurate about this data, I think that this these numbers are aggregates of like the 30 most populated cities in the United States. Which means Chicago's on the list for everybody that are always like, what about Chicago? And this is not true for every city. There are a couple of cities. I think Washington, D.C. and Houston are experiencing an increase this year. And so we don't want to make light of that or give that short shrift. But this data is really helpful data. And when you see overall there's a downward trend and here are some upward spikes, you can ask better questions about what are effective policies to help with this. And so overall, I think this is encouraging news. Another trending story or trending narrative that I've been noticing over and over again that I wanted to point to, it's not a data set, it's not a Nobel Prize winner, but I keep seeing all these stories about religious communities really coming together to protect one another. So there were people from all faiths forming protective rings around synagogues after the Tree of Life shooting. There are many churches that are fighting deportations that they feel like are unethical by holding never-ending, basically, vigils, because apparently if the worship service is ongoing— then the authorities cannot come in during a worship service to take people for deportation. So they're just continuing to hold these services. And this is in The Hague in Netherlands. In the United States, there are also communities protecting those who are oppressed, protecting other religious groups. And I just think that that is an incredibly positive thing to focus on when there are so many headlines about anti-Semitism or attacks on religious minorities. Yes, there are people and there are groups whose actions are increasing and whose attacks on certain groups are are absolutely increasing. But that is not the only thing that is happening, that there are also groups who are going out of their way to protect one another and to stand for equality and tolerance. And I think that's really important to focus on. And I think just as a person of faith, to me, anything that moves us in the ecumenical direction is awesome because religious tolerance has been such a buzzword and religious liberty we talk so much about. And I can understand how people who are not part of religious communities feel a sense of disgust with the religious community. And so where we are able to get past our differences within the religious community to do really positive work in the world and to fulfill the kind of role that I think faith institutions need to play. That is so encouraging to me. So this last one is really very different from a discussion about ecumenical trends, but it might be my favorite trend that we're reported on. I understand that this is a shallow trend, but I don't care. It makes me 
really, really happy. Which is that? In every category broken down by budget, films with women in the lead outperformed film starring men. Mm-hmm. Take that, Hollywood. Women can't lead movies. Nobody will come see them. Whatever. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. think that's all that different from ecumenicalism and watch as I make this connection. (laughs) I think 
that what that indicates, because another part of the reporting on this has been that films starring people of color are also exceeding expectations. And to me, that indicates that we are becoming more interested in each other Mm. and we are becoming more open to experiences that are not our own experiences and that more people are participating in this aspect of our culture and our entertainment and our artistry. And I think that's wonderful news. Absolutely. Also, it's already showing up in so many more fascinating female stories. Like my list of want to see right now, especially because it's Oscar bait season, is so long. I mean, Saoirse Ronan's in like 10 movies this fall, and I'm here for it. And what I think that has to do with ecumenicalism is just that that willingness to say, I might not get this experience, but I want to see it. I want to know about it. I want to be part of it. Hooray. That's all great news. And I think it's, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I had a really great moment at a podcast convention where Tracy Clayton, co-host of Another Round and one of our former college classmates said like, black people have been watching quote unquote white people shows and enjoying them for decades. There's no reason why people can't enjoy quote unquote black people shows or shows that are supposed to be quote unquote for black people. And I really released myself from that. I know I think I was just doing it subconsciously, like sort of filtering out my media and really focused on bringing more diverse perspectives into my viewing habits. And it has been so rewarding, so, so rewarding. You know, if nothing else that I that I now watch Insecure in Atlanta, that was a gift to myself because those shows are brilliant. Well, we've been outside of politics a little bit, but let's go fully outside of politics. Sarah, you texted me that you had an aha moment. Share it with the people. Well, I was thinking about your post about your sort of increased anxiety, and I had been talking to my therapist about, you know, how you it can be so overwhelming to think about the suffering of the world, especially when the news is beating you over the head with it at a constant clip. And I listened to a meditation from the app 10% Happier by Joseph Goldstein, who's my favorite teacher on that app. And he had one about basically how to how to deal with the suffering of the world with equanimity and to allow some expansion in space and not to become overwhelmed by the suffering of the human race. And, you know, he, at one point in the the meditation, he says, because we cannot control everything, we cannot control all these things, which as a Enneagram one is always sort of a shock for me to hear out loud when people say that. I'm like, oh, right. I forget. Yeah, that's a thing. We can't control everything. Okay. It sent me down this path of examining the ways in which I think about bad things in the world and how I often feel personally responsible for fixing them. And we talk a lot on this podcast about individualism and how our culture prevents sort of the individual as the answer and effort and self-control and willpower as the answer to anything that can ail you. And I always think about that in sort of a capitalistic framework, but really we do that In other ways, too, we tell our kids these stories of Martin Luther King, who fixed segregation, and and Gandhi, who freed India. And we all know how I feel about Lottie Moon. And, you know, that's another form of individualism, this idea that you have the power to change the world. And yes, yes, you, you do. None of those people acted alone. You have the power to participate in your way in the ongoing struggle to free human beings from suffering. 
But that's really not how we tell ourselves that story. We tell ourselves that if you're dedicated enough and you, or you're spiritual enough or you're smart enough, that you can fix it, that you can solve these problems and free humanity from its suffering. I know I definitely carry that narrative and this feeling that, like, I'm not doing enough and I could be out there saving lives right this very second. And, look, maybe that's true in some ways, but— I think that there is this individualistic narrative we have when we read some of these bad news stories, instead of thinking that there are constantly good news and powerful movements that we just need to figure out how to do our work so that we can be a piece of that, not necessarily the solution all by ourselves. I was just having a conversation with one of my clients about this because we were talking about volunteer work and how quickly you can get into kind of trying to donate to every drive the school is having and participate in every volunteer effort that's going on at church or in the community. And what I've realized is that right now, as a parent of young children, my highest, best contribution might not be buying 20 bars of soap for the drive at school. It might be instead instilling in my children a spirit of giving and giving gladly. And so if buying the soap is one more thing this week in a week that I can't get everything together and I'm stressed out and I'm complaining about it, that is not teaching my kids what I want to teach them about how we contribute to the world. So instead, it's better for me to say, I am so happy that your school's doing that. I bet that lots of people are going to want to to give to that, just like we give to these things. And just talk about how not every single thing is your responsibility, but you are contributing to the whole and how we want to be really discerning. There's that word again that keeps popping up for us. But we really want to be discerning about how we contribute because we want to contribute in our way. Mm-hmm. That's how we're all making the whole better. By not trying to do everyone else's work for them and by doing our work joyfully so that we're inspired to do more of it and to do exactly the work for which we are best suited. I think that's exactly right. And I know it's hard. It's hard for me. I have a big self-critical voice in my head. This is something else I've been thinking a lot about that. I have a lot, it's a lot easier for me to be empathetic towards other people than it is to myself. And I I realize that's because so often my sort of path to empathy is I don't understand what that person's going through, but I understand what I'm going through. (laughs) And so sort of my empathy entrance doesn't really apply to myself. And I'm trying to figure out how to do that, how to just, how to give myself some grace and a break, whether I'm thinking about how to do my best work, if when I am doing that work, if it doesn't, you know, sort of measure up to my own expectations, just all of those ways in which we, you know, lead our lives. As we said before we started this podcast, being a human is hard. In, in summary, being human is hard. So if I can offer you maybe a little bit of perspective on that, I'm highly attuned to be empathetic too. But what I am trying to learn, and it is an ongoing process, is that I cannot truly extend grace to other people if I can't extend it to myself. I can Mm -hmm. extend sympathy and empathy, but there's still an element of judgment. So if my only path to connecting with somebody else is to say, well, I don't know what they're going through, like the fine print on that is, but if I did, then I could decide if it was right or wrong, Mm -hmm. which I'm doing to myself all the time, right? And that's not what grace is. 
Grace is saying, even if I contributed to this, even if I made poor choices, even if I am assessing this the wrong way, I still am okay. And I still belong with this. And that doesn't diminish the experience that I'm having right now. And that's what I I want to be able to genuinely offer that to others where I'm not judging. I don't have to understand. And if I did understand, I would still give you grace around this. And I that's just not available, I think, if you can't do it in yourself. No, I totally agree. I think that's a really, really good point. It's so hard. I think it's just so hard because the balance between wanting to be a person who is curious and because we have so many psychological shortcomings that can lead us down really bad reasoning and really bad sort of emotional reactions. I want to both be aware of the ways that we can, you know, have an attribution error or confirmation bias and be curious and self-critical in ways that will lead to growth. But that's, it's a hard balance to strike between doing that and also finding ways to give myself grace and think, well, I was still doing the best I could in that moment. I think that being at that spot of real grace offers us the opportunity to be more self-critical, though, in a weird way, because there's less of a stake in being right if you're able to just say, oh, I was wrong, but I'm still okay. Yeah. And so when we make a mistake on the show, particularly, like it used to just eat me alive to make a mistake on the podcast. And it still bothers me and it's still not a thing I want to do. But I am so much more open now to saying, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said it that way. That was a poor choice of words than when we first started, because I don't have as much invested in my own perfection here as I did when we first started. That's Mm -hmm. been part of my personal evolution, right? And the more I'm able to do that, then I'm able in conversations with other people to not get so wound up when they get something wrong. Yeah. Because I'm okay. So they're okay too. Well, I have to say that we are both incredibly grateful that you have all stuck with us as we work through these processes on the podcast and in the community. And as a small thank you in your podcast feed today, you will find chapter one of our audio book, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. A guide to grace-filled political conversation, as is abundantly clear from our conversation we just had. Grace is not something we have totally figured out, but we have made some progress and we have learned some lessons along the way in our book that you can pre-order now. It'll be out February 5th. We're really excited about what 2019 will bring as we publish our first book. And we hope that you are having an incredibly happy and fulfilling holiday season And we are excited for 2019 and this community. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. So much love from us. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. And thanks for making us sound better and smarter, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our production assistant which means we could not live without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you so much, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help make the show better. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Cherry Haas, 
Sarah's husband, Nicholas Holland, and my husband, Chad Silvers. Learn more about our live events that we're involved in and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with us and members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.